Friends, our gospel reading today comes from Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. For as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them all away. So too will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two will be in the field, one will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding meal together, one will be taken, and one will be left. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For students of church history, it's known as the Great Disappointment. Followers of Baptist minister William Miller prepared wholeheartedly for October 22, 1844, the day he was convinced that Jesus was coming again. He was apparently quite a persuasive preacher, as he convinced many others, too. They quit their jobs and cashed out their accounts. Over and over again, by way of preaching and teaching, Miller insisted that Jesus was coming back exactly when he, Miller himself, had calculated. He called this impending return the Advent It will come as no surprise to you that October 22nd, 1844, came and went. Miller had to revise his theory, and many of his followers were devastated. One of them, a man named Henry Emmons, this is what he wrote in response. I waited all Tuesday, October 22nd, and dear Jesus did not come. I waited all the forenoon of Wednesday the 23rd and was well in body as ever I was. But after 12 o'clock, I began to feel faint, and before dark, I needed someone to help me up to my chamber. My natural strength was leaving me very fast, and I lay there for two days. There was no pain. I was simply sick with disappointment. And I have to admit, I wonder if there might not be some small measure of disappointment here among us this morning after our scripture reading. We have come to celebrate. The greens are up, though not the bows and poinsettias, not yet. The pyramids and stoles are purple. The candles are in place. One of them is already shining brightly. We are but minutes away from our Advent festival. And then we're faced with this story filled with warning that any day now, any hour, Jesus might kidnap someone at work and then break into your house and rob you. 
For the record, this story is not included in the Christmas pageant. (laughs) But this story, or one very similar as it appears in two other Gospels, it is included in the lectionary every Advent. In fact, it's our introduction to Advent each year. And it reminds us, whether we like it or not, that when we pull out all of our festive decorations, we're actually preparing for two Advents. As Beverly said, Advent means coming. We anticipate the first coming of Jesus into this world, born in a manger to a couple of outcast refugees, visited by shepherds and magi and angels alike. And at the very same time, Though it gets less attention in holiday cards and Hallmark movies, we anticipate the second coming of Jesus into this world, when he returns to once again make right right every wrong and bind up every brokenness. Matthew 24 is part of what's known as the Olivet Discourse. It's one of Jesus' longer teachings, and it's delivered on the Mount of Olives. This teaching comes right before he is arrested and crucified. So we can imagine that he is saying all of this at a time when tensions are high and people are scared. And even if they didn't necessarily understand what he was talking about, his followers understand that something is brewing. That life as they know it is about to shift that a change, some sort of big change, is on the way. Now it's important to be clear here. Jesus said all of these things to people who were already afraid. But far too often in our more modern day, these things are used to create and perpetuate fear. But if I understand this text at all, that is not Jesus' point. There are a number of days from my years in elementary school that I don't remember very well. Most of them, as it turns out. But one is etched in my mind very clearly. It started off innocently. I went to school. I was in the third grade, it was a Tuesday, and absolutely nothing unusual happened. But not long after I returned home, I was actually sitting in the kitchen in the middle of my afternoon snack when all sorts of commotion erupted outside. At least half a dozen police cars descended on our neighborhood, and a bullhorn repeated this message over and over, stay inside your home. Officers are in pursuit of a man armed and dangerous. Stay inside your home. I had been eating my snack at the kitchen table, which looked out with big picture windows over our backyard. The bullhorn and its message, it scared me, and so I jumped out of my chair, in fact, just in time to see a man climb over our backyard fence. Ever calm in an emergency, I responded by shrieking, Mom! 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 Which alerted my own personal authorities. 
I left her to call 911, and I proceeded to defend the perimeter of my home and everyone in it. I sent my brother, who was in kindergarten at the time, to the upstairs bathroom with instructions to take the dogs with him, lock the door, and lay down in the bathtub. It gets better. I then collected every jump rope and bungee cord I could find and created what can only be termed an unholy tangled mess, weaving those impenetrable materials through the railing on each side of our steps and tying them into several knots. I moved up the stairs as I worked, apparently having decided that my mother, on the phone with the police, would have to fend for herself. I braced myself against the bathroom door, courageously facing outward, armed with the only things left at my disposal, dog toys. Some of them were, in fact, soft and squishy. Some of them were not soft and squishy. I should add here that the way that our house was designed, the upstairs hallway, where I was surrounded with tennis balls and rawhide shoes, looked out over the lower level, so from my perch I could see both the front door and the staircase, or what had formerly been a staircase. It was now masquerading as the web of an enormous and enormously confused spider. Now my mother claims that she yelled up from the kitchen that the police had chased the man into the neighbor's yard and caught him. To this day, she insists that she shared that information. We disagree on this detail. But if, if, if she shared this information, she did not do so loudly enough to break through my newly installed home security system. So when the front door began to open slowly a few minutes later, I could only conclude that the worst was happening. I launched a fleet of dog toys at the door, and the more the door opened, the more I threw. My father remains grateful that I have terrible aim. He was simply returning home from the office. Now all these years later, I can tell this story with a sense of humor. But at the time, I was absolutely terrified. I thought that I and the people I loved were in danger. And there is nothing funny about genuine fear. But again, the more I study this text, the more I am convinced that it's not meant to frighten us. It's actually meant to comfort the fear that we already have. After all, the phrase that shows up most during all of our Christmas stories comes from the angels when they say, do not be afraid. Now, first of all, this teaching comes in response to the disciples' questions. Tell us, they say, tell us when will this be and what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus responds right before we picked up reading today. Jesus responds immediately after the suffering of those days. The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven. In other words, it's going to get dark before it gets light. Which sounds a lot like Advent. 
The disciples, though, they ask these questions because they are already unsettled and afraid. They know what is coming for Jesus, their leader, their mentor, their friend. They are in the dusk of twilight already. When the worst you can imagine is coming for someone you love, it feels like the world is ending. You all know that. I wish you didn't, but I know that you do. And so Jesus says, look, it's going to be okay. There will still be good news afoot. Absolutely nothing can change that. But, he says, there will be times, and this is one of them, when you are going to have to look good and hard for it. Now, I'll admit, the way that Jesus chooses to say all of this is a bit extreme. In fact, Tom Long, a renowned preacher and longtime professor of preaching at Candler School of Theology at Emory University, he says that Jesus needs to communicate so much, so quickly, so urgently, that his language is stretched almost out of recognizable shape. But no matter what shape it comes in, Jesus' language is always, at its very core, filled with the promise of good news. And if we can't see it or hear it, well, maybe we need to change the way we're looking at it. Have you ever worn those 3D glasses at a movie theater or a theme park or maybe even at the eye doctor? If you have, you know this. You can't walk around with them all day long. It distorts the world too much. But if you aren't wearing them at just the right time, you'll see some things. You just won't see the film or the photo in its full glory. Jesus' language here is something like that. We can read it just as it is, Or we can read it through the lens of love. That's an actual part of our Presbyterian doctrine, that all scripture is to be interpreted through a lens of love. So look at it again. For as the days of Noah were, Jesus says, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, Until the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing until the flood came and swept them away. And then two were working in a field, and suddenly one was gone. And then two women were grinding grain, and suddenly one was gone. The interpretation we almost always hear is that Jesus is talking about when he will return and whisk the faithful away to heaven where they are happy forever and ever. Amen. While the forgotten and forsaken ones are left behind, awaiting a terrible time. Because the very worst thing, according to this interpretation, is to be left behind. But remember the rest of Noah's story. Jesus himself points to Noah as the answer here. The ones who were swept away by the waters, we don't hear anything more about them. 
It's the ones who are left behind who are tasked with tremendously holy work, building a new world and embracing a whole new way of living, even in the midst of tremendous uncertainty. The ones left behind, they are not forsaken. They are entrusted with a whole new future. When it feels to you like the world is ending, Jesus seems to be saying, it's not. I promise. Keep your eyes open. Pay attention. Keep awake. There is good news afoot. There is work to be done, a new world to build, and a new way of living to embrace. And it may come upon you in the field while harvesting or in the kitchen while grinding. It may come early one morning on the subway or late at night in the eyes of a homeless person on the street corner. It may come at your desk while you're filing or on the phone while you're negotiating. It may come in the dentist's office or the doctor's office, sitting at your dining room table or relaxing in your living room. It may come with a stranger or a friend, a child or an adult. It may come when you expect it or when you don't. But it will come over and over again. That chance to build a new world that chance to embrace a new way of living with our speech and our action, with our decisions and our devotion. All those years ago, when I barricaded my house against a potential intruder, I shut us all away. And when my father tried to break in, he got hit with tennis balls and dog bones. And as he rubbed his knee and surveyed the tangle of jump rope lining the staircase, he said, I'm going to trust that somehow love is behind this. Friends, as we prepare ourselves for the coming of Jesus Christ in a manger to save us and at the end, to save us. Do not close your eyes in fear. Keep awake. Because the only thing breaking in is love. The kingdom of God is at hand for those who have eyes to see it. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.